0: This week marks the 11th anniversary of Barack Obama's signing of the Affordable Care Act, something Joe Biden, then the vice president and now the president, famously described as a big effing deal. On camera, of course. He was right, and in retrospect, it becomes a bigger deal with each passing year. That's because the United States has long lagged behind other industrialized countries in expanding access to health insurance. And those signature moments when the federal government passes those kinds of pieces of legislation are few and far between. CQ Roll Call Health Editor Rebecca Adams and I are going to discuss these big moments, the Affordable Care Act of 2010, the expansion of Medicare's Prescription Drug Program in 2003, the Children's Health Insurance Program of 1997, and the granddaddy of them all, the Medicare and Medicaid Act of 1965. We're going to talk about what created the opportunities for them to pass in the first place, what the politics were uh, surrounding the debate, and what have been the long-term effects uh, from a public health perspective. So let's start with our news hook, the Affordable Care Act. Today, after almost a century of trying, today, after over a year of debate,
1: today, after all the votes have been tallied, health insurance reform becomes law in the United States of America.
0: Rebecca, you were there for uh, more steps than you probably wanted (laughs) during that debate as a reporter. I was there too uh, as an editor for uh, one of our uh, uh, rival publications, National Journal, Congress Daily. What's going through your mind first when you realize it's been 11 years since this law was signed? And also, it, it wasn't like that was just the beginning. There was a full year plus of debate going into it.
1: So, yeah, the first thing is I can't believe it's been that long. I also can't believe that it's been that long since the 2003 prescription drug law passed. Um, Wow. Um, So I, I think that one thing to remember about all of this is that it wasn't inevitable. None of this was ever inevitable, um, especially all of the drama in 2009 and 2010. Um, there were fits and starts throughout, and we can, if you want to, we can talk about some of that. But um, oh, yes,
0: <laughs> that's what we do, and that's our bag.
1: I can't wait. So it's just interesting how, how the U.S. health. System has evolved over time. I mean, it's kind of like, think of an old house that, you know, originally it was just a small little house and, you know, you've got a couple of bedrooms and a small kitchen and high ceilings and every generation has sort of tacked on a wing or an expansion or a sun porch and you know you go into one part and you've got sort of the popcorn ceilings from the '60s and seventies, and then you've got other parts that are completely different in style and so it's we really have a hodgepodge in america it's It's not a seamless system um, and all this incremental growth has been really interesting, and it's been pushed along by individuals, very strong willed individuals along the way. Um, and now we're, we're at a point where there is a threat to the healthcare law again. We've had multiple Supreme Court decisions, and we've got another one expected in the next three months or so on whether to overturn it or overturn parts of it due to uh, the action in 2017 when the Republicans got rid of a penalty that was part of the healthcare law. Um, requiring people to get insurance, uh, they got, they zeroed out that penalty. And then there was a question about whether the rest of the law could stand because uh, in 2012, uh, Justice Roberts was one of those who voted to support the law. And, uh, and so one of the bases for that was that the penalty was a tax and therefore it was constitutional. So we, we have it back in court again. Right. Meanwhile, we have Democrats in Congress. They've just enacted legislation to boost the subsidies in the health care law to also boost some COBRA work insurance temporarily and encourage states that didn't expand Medicaid to do that, um, to, to have incentives to do that. And so these provisions, though, are only temporary. And so we're going to have another debate again before the midterm elections about the future of health care in America.
0: Yeah, and let, just backing up a little bit, I mean, like, it, it, as you said, it wasn't inevitable. Um, the last time, I mean, Democrats have un, unified control of Congress and the White House right now. The last time they did in 2009 uh, and, and 2010, after Obama was first elected, they they had both chambers. And this was what they put their, their effort into, that this is what, the, you know, Obama— uh, if If you believe some of the the reporting from the time and and from his own sort of perspective, he wasn't this wasn't even inevitable for him. um Correct. but but they went all in. um they they passed this law. It's a little different than than the way that other countries have set up their universal healthcare care systems. Um, it it you know, it basically required people to to buy health insurance or or carry health insurance or pay a penalty, which as you as you've explained, that's been the subject of a lot of legal challenges. Uh, the last time the Republicans controlled <laughs> the government, they repealed the tax, so that the penalty went down to zero. And so now we're debating that. But you know what strikes me so much about this is that um, you know again th- 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 this doesn't happen that often. The government's not under unified control very often, uh, and and when it does, they usually they they figure out some way to get <laughs> something big on the table. And for Obama and the Democrats, it was this, and this. As you sort of stated, like, in in the, the fact that we're still going to be arguing about this, the Supreme Court's going to have to decide something in the next few months about whether the law can stand without that penalty. Um, this has defined politics for both parties since its passage for the last, like, really 12 years.
1: It really has. It's been an, a, an issue in every single election. Um it became an issue back in 2009, 2010, when the Tea Party started. And we all remember those August town hall meetings before the law mm. passed. Right. Where people got very agitated and and um, conservatives talked about socialist government-run health care. And, you know, one thing that pops into my mind is just that moment in September 20, 2009 Um, before the law finally passed in in March of 2010, when Obama was standing before Congress in this joint session, and a congressman, um, I think it was Joe Wilson from South Carolina Republic, shouted, you lie, Uh, when Obama was talking about some of the myths about the healthcare law. The reforms, the reforms I'm proposing would not apply to those who are here illegal. He was talking about how it wouldn't be available to illegal immigrants, and and obviously um, Representative Wilson felt strongly about it. So um, there was this back and forth; it was tense from the beginning. Um, w- when it finally was enacted in two pieces, um, because and in, in, if you want to get into the legislative history, we can. Um, it, it was enacted and it got a little bit of a bump in public opinion, but then there was an outcry and there was the Tea Party drumming against it and um, public support fell. Um, it it was it was we were pretty we've been pretty divided over it um, pretty much this entire time. But it has it. it people were more against it before. The Republicans tried to repeal it in 2017. Since 2017, in the past four years, there has been majority support for it, and now about 55 percent of Americans support the law.
0: And and you know, it's I think it's important to point out too that a lot of what the Republican attacks on the law um, were they were not based on anything in reality. You know, there were the you know Sarah Palin talking about death panels that you know was just an out and out lie. Um, and and you know this. The increased, you know, the, uh, the Republicans, I think it one chamber or another, uh, there were 55 votes to repeal <laughs> or something along the lines, upwards of almost 60 votes to repeal the law. Uh, they almost did it in 2017, as, as you noted, as part of the budget reconciliation process, which averts a filibuster. John McCain has this very dramatic moment mm-hmm. where he came to the floor and gave his thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Uh, right and- before
1: that, by the way, he told our colleague Lauren Clayson. Hey, watch the show. And
0: then he watched the out. show. <laughs> Very always had a flair for the dramatic uh, his, <laughs> his entire life. Um, and and but as you said, as the since then, when when it really did face this existential threat, and also since all of the benefits fully kicked in it has become more popular and among those benefits are you know you can't be uh you can't be kicked off your health insurance for pre-existing conditions mm-hmm. that's pretty popular oh so for...
1: it, it pulls it's from the beginning that has been like you know 70 80% of people have supported that part of it
0: yeah no it, it, it's and it just it's interesting that like the you know the republicans have made less hay of repealing and replacing uh, since since then since the since 2017, uh, some even say, "Well, we did repeal it," <laughs> and, and they're just sort of letting it get fought out in the, in the courts because they realize that politically, going after this and having no alternative because they never did have a comprehensive alternative was a political loser. Um, so it's it it is interesting that the you know it, this was the biggest increase in access to health insurance, uh, granted through uh, you know a very Free market based um, system, like you you don't have to, but you you have to pay a penalty or there's a penalty. Uh, It since Medicare Medicaid, Um, but let's let's pivot a little bit. We will talk about Medicare and Medicaid and and this huge expansion, and that's one of the things that the Affordable Care Act also did is it provided subsidies so that states could could expand Medicaid uh, and and so that people more people would be eligible to buy uh, to to get Medicaid. Um, we'll talk about the original law, but there are these two big events in the intervening years between the Affordable Care Act and, and the Medicare Medicaid Act, 1965. One of them was in 2003, which we were also covering. Yeah. <laughs> but I think this just means we're old. Uh, we're not Medicare old yet, but uh, we're we're getting there. Um, in 2003, uh, the the Republicans had unified control of the, of the government. Um, and they they passed an expansion. At that point, it was one of the largest expansions of, of, of Medicare, and it it provided a prescription drug benefit, uh, which had long you know not been part of Medicare. And you know we uh, spoiler alert like <laughs> prescription drugs have always been an issue, a political issue. They've always been expensive, uh, and this was something that the Republicans managed to do like through you know the like they managed to push it through both chambers. George W. Bush signed it.
1: With the Medicare Act of 2003, our government is finally bringing prescription drug coverage to the seniors of America. With this law, we're giving older Americans better choices and more control over their health care so they can receive the modern medical care they deserve.
0: Uh, there was some of the politics were, hey, old people uh, aren't voting as Republican as we'd like them to. That was sort of the political equation. But like what what you know, what was the biggest significance of that? Because we're still dealing with prescription drug prices, right? and and they're accelerating costs over the years.
1: So, one of the limits of the healthcare laws that have passed in the United States is that they haven't really dealt with cost control. Um, the healthcare law in 2010 did not do that, except in limited ways, um, some of which were later repealed. Um, the 2003 prescription drug law did not deal very much with cost control. And that's why today we're seeing House Democrats trying to push forward things like allowing negotiation in Medicare. Right now in Medicare, private insurers negotiate prices with drug manufacturers and middlemen just on their piece of it. But Medicare as a whole does not use all of its muscle to um, negotiate prices like the VA does, for example. Um, and, And so it has been, you know, since the passage of the 2003 law, it has been helpful for seniors to have lower cost. And the Affordable Care Act even built on the 2003 drug law because it closed a gap in coverage that was known as the donut hole. Um, so there has been this relief in some ways on seniors, but that did not do anything really to deal with the underlying problem of high drug cost. And we've seen prescription drug prices launch with much higher prices. Specialty drugs are very expensive and um, this is an issue that is current today,
0: right? No, th- I mean there are here. There was a hearing this week um, in in the Senate uh, where uh, Senate Budget Chairman Bernie Sanders, you know, really wanted. You know, he's he has been a, a fierce advocate of allowing Medicare and Medicaid to negotiate uh, with directly with the drug companies, and uh, it is it it seems you know that that was. It it would seem common sense that you would want like one of the largest entities in the federal government to leverage its negotiating power, but uh, it has not happened. That doesn't mean it won't. But we here we are we are uh, you know uh, almost twenty years later <laughs> after this uh, eighteen eighteen years after the passage of that, and there's still we're still dealing with accelerating uh, public uh, you know costs in, in in public programs like Medicare and Medicaid over over the prescription drugs. Um, all right, S-CHIP, uh, or CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program. Uh, th- this this uh, goes back into the 90s. Uh, we'll get our flannel out and let's start listening to some grunge to get into the mood. Um... This was uh, arguably one of the more bipartisan uh, health care actions of, of, of the four that we're going to talk about. Uh, Ted Kennedy, uh, the liberal lion, a Massachusetts senator, uh, and Orrin Hatch, a conservative, Utah Republican. Um, they could work together on a lot of things. This may be one of their biggest achievements. This program, uh, which was signed into law as part of the 1997 Balanced Budget Act, because we have
1: acted millions of children all across this country will be able to get medicine and have their sight and hearing tested and see dentists and doctors for the first time.
0: Uh, this came out of divided government that's one of the exceptions too uh, this was the only one of these programs that came out of divided government the the, the Republicans controlled the House and Senate and Bill Clinton was in the White House. Um, it was very bipartisan it, it it was one of those gap things you mentioned, like the house, right? I love that metaphor of of the of the this house that you keep adding to uh, in the healthcare systems. Um, the this was designed for dependent children whose parents did not qualify for Medicaid, uh, but could not afford private insurance, or or couldn't you know, afford to put their children on insurance through employment, and. This was a big deal in the '90s. I mean, this was this was them saying, like, okay, we're. I mean, this was coming out of the Hillary Care debacle for the Democrats, uh, where they're like, okay, we're not going to get universal health care, but let's let's take the next step and 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 cover the next most vulnerable population, which is kids that are not dirt poor, but aren't don't have whose parents don't have enough to cover them. And what's been the result there? <laughs>
1: It's been a tremendous success. I think people on both sides of the aisle would say it's been one of the greatest bipartisan health policy achievements, you know, in in recent years. Um, I think that, you know, as you see the number of uninsured children decline, people have, you know, really patted themselves on the back for that, although you've seen that tick back up. Um, again, in the past three years, there been mm-hmm. there's been a little bit of an increase, um, you know. But that did that came out of you know I think Ted Kennedy had Orrin Hatch over for dinner, and they were looking for ways to deal with this problem in an incremental way. Again, in the American tradition, um, following as you mentioned in the wake of of Hillary Care, which in ninety three and ninety four. Well, just never got anywhere, um, never got a floor vote in either chamber and was a bit of a, a mess <laughs> for years. It, it made Democrats um, gun-shy about tackling this issue. Um, and, and so um, you have seen this improvement, um, and that was something that built the, uh, the ACA built on.
0: And, and I, you know, just from my, own, I mentioned that uh, I have a sort of somewhat personal connection to this, which is that um, in uh, a, a small interregnum in my journalism career, I moved to West Virginia and I was a part of the AmeriCorps uh, Promise Fellow program. And part of uh, my duties were that I, that I was able to uh, do outreach, uh, help, help on outreach efforts to make people aware of the health insurance programs that were available to them uh, and, and particularly to their kids. Uh, in Doddridge County, uh, in which is in the in the middle of of West Virginia, it's about halfway between uh, Parkersburg and Clarksburg on US fifty. And um, what what I found was kind of amazing, which was that nobody knew about this program. <laughs> this is in 2000 and 2001. Uh Nobody had any idea. Uh, there there had been very little outreach at that point um, to, to, on that. And then also, um, most of the people who <clears throat> excuse me, most of the people who we had. Uh, reached out to actually qualified for medicaid uh, as opposed to to s chip uh, because i mean the county was uh on on terms of like per capita um income was was pretty low but i was amazed at how again how bipartisan it was and how much uh west virginia has always been a you know a believer in social welfare programs even though it's a conservative place and people just didn't know anything about it that's changed a little bit i think but Mm -hmm. uh this bipartisan effort that did a lot of good was unknown (laughs) to (laughs) the people who i was i was working with uh but it is still around uh so which is i think a feat in itself
1: yes and you mentioned something related to medicaid which was interesting um you mentioned the woodwork effect where people kind of come out of the woodwork you tell them about one program whether it's the healthcare laws exchanges or chip or something and you find people who were always eligible for medicaid but they never signed up for it and you know the aca has provided insurance by you know to about 20 million people i mean the number of people without insurance uh, it went from something like 47 million, you know, and dropped by 20 million people or so just in six years. And a big chunk of that is Medicaid. So, you know, it speaks to the importance of of Medicaid.
0: Speaking of which, the granddaddy of them all, uh, the 1965 Medicare Medicaid Act. Um, since you know, really, the, the I mean, the, in the New Deal, you know, we got the uh, the FDR signed into law the Social Security Act. Even then, there was uh, there were small pushes to to have some sort of health insurance, federal health insurance program. It never uh, got off the ground because of the Depression and because of World War II and so forth. After World War II, Harry Truman, you know, began. P- pursuing this as president. Um, and, and he was not able to, uh, to pull it off. He also had to work with divided government. Um, I mean, there was this extraordinarily volatile political time where, you know, Democrats and Republicans were switching, um, you know, the majority control, like seemingly with every election. Uh, and then in 1952, Dwight Eisenhower gets elected, you know, no interest <laughs> that much. Uh, they were more focused on things like the inter- interstate highway system. 1960, John Kennedy gets elected. He's got uh, unified control of government. Um, he is tragically assassinated in 1963. And then in 1964, Lyndon Johnson, his successor, gets what he needs uh, to to proceed with the Great Society. And that's huge uh, margins uh, in the majority for for Democrats. And their biggest push in the Great Society, uh, in addition to voting rights, is uh, the Medicare and Medicaid Act. The time has now arrived for action to help them attain that opportunity and to help them get that protection, unquote. Well, today, Mr. President, and my fellow Americans, we're taking such action twenty years later. Which basically said you know, there's, we're going to provide health insurance to the most vulnerable people—poor people and old people—and um, this has been arguably the most significant, you know, health legislation ever past in, in this country. And, is, and, and you know, it, it was interesting, Medicare for a long time was the most popular, but as you've, you've pointed out uh, in some of our discussions, Medicaid is becoming more popular. Let's talk about that.
1: Sure. Yes. I think um, after the repeal and replace effort in 2017, polls showed that Medicaid did uh, tick up in popularity and I think that's because so many Americans are affected by Medicaid. Um, people use it for long term care for nursing home care um, it pays for as they say sometimes half of the deaths and half of the births in America because so many people get uh, prenatal coverage and and uh, you know it covers births as well it it is really more than just um, what some people might label the poor per- person's program. It's for people with lower incomes, people with disabilities, um, people, and, and people use it temporarily. Some people use it for longer term, um, but a huge number of Americans use it. Um, and it is interesting as you think about the history of Medicare and Medicaid, how, again, we have this compartmentalized, fractured, fragmented system and that happened even from the beginning because of legislative compromises they couldn't reach agreement exactly on how to structure this national compulsory program so they came up with different parts even within medicare you've got part a which is inpatient hospital care and skilled nursing care and some health care home health care it's funded in one way through payroll taxes and consumer contributions Um, And then you've got another part that's part B, voluntary, paid for by general revenues and consumer premiums. And then separately, you've got Medicaid, which um, was kind of built out of the 1960 Kerr Mills legislation, which was grants to states to create their own programs. And so all of this came about because of different flashpoints and different um, factions in Congress Um, The AMA, was the American Medical Association, was initially very opposed to this idea. They called it socialized medicine. They had a history of fighting national health insurance for decades. Um, They eventually proposed a scaled-back voluntary program that would cover um, physician services. So, you know, it's just fascinating how all of the sausage-making has led to the system that we've got.
0: Uh, yeah, and and as as you said, I mean, like the, I I think I look at you know Medicare, Medicaid, and ACA as kind of bookends, just because of my own sort of uh, pessimism about w- where how they could ever agree for on any further expansions where they go. But that but again, as you as you noted, we seem to get some kind, something once a generation, and who knows what that will be? I mean, like we're still dealing with a pandemic right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, people's health attitudes about healthcare may change. Um, but I think that the you know as to to hearken back to uh, to Biden uh, at the signing ceremony, this was a big effing deal. Uh, it continues to be a big effing deal. It continues to clog our court system <laughs> and and really uh, you know, form the basis for a lot of our politics. So,, um, but that's good news because we'll never worry for uh, having a lack of things th- stories to cover, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely, full time employment for healthcare reporters and lawyers.
0: <laughs> Rebecca, thanks so much uh, for walking through this. I think we we were able to pack in a lot. Uh, the history of healthcare in America uh, is uh, could there are literally libraries written about it. Uh, but I, I like I like the way that we've touched on on these four uh, big pieces of legislation and the politics and and I I appreciate you uh, uh, helping me make sense of it.
1: Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it.